This is Ag Bioscience. Welcome and thanks for joining. I'm Mitch Frazier, President and CEO of Agrinovus Indiana. And this is the podcast where we explore all things Ag Bioscience. The people, the products and innovations across food, animal health, plant science and ag tech. We're joined today by a globally renowned expert in regional economic growth who has personally made a positive impact on Indiana's economy that is unrivaled in central Indiana history. His work has united executives, academics, policymakers, philanthropists, community groups, all to dream big, take action, and fuel growth. He's a lawyer, a leader, and a friend. Welcome, David Johnson, president and CEO of the Central Indiana Corporate Partnership. David, welcome to Ag Bioscience. Mitch, thank you. I was looking around the room to see who you might be about to introduce with that. Thank you. That was very, very kind of you. Well, you are kind. And David, your impact on Central Indiana economy cannot be overstated. Your work is just amazing. You've been at the forefront of building Indiana's economy for decades. Before we dig deeper into what's ahead here at CICP, we have to learn more about you, your journey from Harvard to Capitol Hill to legal practice, now leading this economic accelerant that is CICP. Tell us more about your story and who is David Johnson. Well, in, in terms of how I got to to uh, to where things are today, so I grew up here and uh, was uh, uh, went to Broderbill High School here. Thought this was a great place to grow up and be. And then had an opportunity to go away to college, which I which I did at, at Harvard as an undergraduate, and then to law school there as well. Spent some time in between as a student at the University of Oxford at New College there studying what they call modern history in Britain, which is anything after the fall of Rome, but before World War I. Uh, learned to look at the world in some different ways and came back from that experience really interested, although I was in the process of becoming a lawyer little less interested in being a lawyer and more interested in going into some kind of foreign policy related work. Hmm. Mitch, you've, you've been around the political process long enough to know that sometimes the quickest way into big responsible positions is by going through the public sector. So mm-hmm. I found myself in a junior staff position on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee on Sub-Saharan African Affairs and U.S. Economic and Defense Priorities there at the age of 26, which I absolutely had no business being in, but it was <laughs> it was just a really fun and fabulous job. At that time, I traveled a lot in that and uh, worked for all the committee members, Republicans and Democrats. At that time, uh, the legal profession was different. You, if, if you were going to be a, become a lawyer, you had to become one. Within three or four years of getting out of law school, you really couldn't fit into a law firm. And so with great reluctance, I left that job behind and decided I would much rather come back home if I was going to be a lawyer than, than, than stay there and be a, you know, doing something else. And so I ended up back here. And I uh, joined the firm then uh, known as Baker and Daniels, where lots of interesting people have come out of that firm over the years and, uh, you know, buckled in and tried to think of myself as a long-term lawyer. That firm had been founded in the 1860s by, by a former Republican governor and a former Democratic governor. Hmm. And in those days, the whole idea for big professional service firms like that, the accounting firms were similar, was that you were in it for life. And there was you, you weren't responsible for going out and getting clients. You were responsible for serving the long-term business of the firm. And the way you did that was by being a volunteer in the community and getting yourself involved in a number of different things. You did pro bono legal work too, but people were really wanting you to be part of things that were going on in the greater community. And I was a finance lawyer um, and knew something about all of that. And so you know what happens if you're in anywhere near finance and you're part of a volunteer effort, you're always put on the money committee. Right. Right? Yes. So so Central Indiana Corporate Partnership had just formed. 
um, at that time, and I'm thinking about here around 1999, 2000, 2001, and it had identified, you know, among many other early priorities, the consultants had identified the need, the crying need, frankly, for some kind of organization of this state's life sciences sector, which folks like Patel, now Taconomy Partners, had been saying for years as one of the nation's five or 10 best, and no one here knew it or was acting like it. It was not organized. And so there was a group of us that volunteered to step forward to do that. Uh, Dave Goodrich was the first CEO at CICP at the time. Little Endowment was interested in that effort as well. And the mayor, uh, Mayor Bart Peterson, was very interested in that. And everybody wanted it to be something big and interesting. And so they decided early on that it needed to have a capital component, that it needed to have a venture capital component, particularly to put the life sciences businesses to work at the innovation stage coming out of universities then. And so I, of course, drew the card as the volunteer with the finance background. My finance background had nothing to do with venture capital, but it was close enough. It had dollar signs in the back of it. <laughs> uh, and so I ended up, um, I was asked if I wanted to do a, a best practices study. And I said, I don't know what that is. I think we need to see if we can raise a fund. And I did. I went out and, and with uh, great amounts of help from the one of the one of the business development leaders over at Eli Lilly and Company at the time, who had they'd done some investing in that kind of stuff in the community here as well. We put together a $73 million fund of funds that invested in early stage life sciences companies. Uh, mercifully, the thing actually worked and returned capital to <laughs> investors and, and, and invested in a couple of really good companies. But that was really what I was doing. And I was doing all that as a volunteer. Again, you can, wow. you might, you know, today, you, you, if you worked in a law firm, your partners would kill you for doing right. something right. like that. It sounds it's like a whole lot of non-billable hours. Right? 100% non-billable. <laughs> uh, but, but it was long-term engagement for the community. And then uh, when Mitch Daniels uh, ended up getting elected governor in 2004, his, uh, his, his right-hand person in his world when he'd been at Lilly in finance was uh, the guy who was currently the loaned executive from Lilly, who was the president and CEO of Bio Crossroads. Mitch Daniels was, this guy was Mitch's first call to ask to come into the state, serve as the budget director. And all of a sudden there was an opening to come into Bio Crossroads. And I remember he, this guy called me up and said, his name is Chuck Shelley, well, great guy. Great guy. Calls me up and says, hey, you got to do this. And I said, look, I, you know, I've been a lawyer for 22 years. And he said, isn't that long enough? <laughs> and I didn't really have a good answer to it. And so on about 10 days notice, I, uh, I, I left the legal profession pretty much behind at that point and came to buy crosses and tried to figure out what we could do with it. That is, I did not know the Chuck connection. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Chuck and I raised that fund, the, the, the Indiana future fund, which was and had, and had a great time doing it. That's incredible. Now, David, a lot of folks may not know the Central Indiana Corporate Partnership. If you could thumbnail sketch sure. out for folks, what is CICP and who are some of your members? Yeah. So backing up on that. So um, in every, and I think uh, your, 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 your folks here will readily appreciate one of the coolest things that ever happened in Indianapolis and in Indiana was the decision of the NCAA to move here in the mid 1990s. Um, that was a classic sort of a community volunteer move by some other community volunteers who went out to Kansas city, found the NCAA was actually unhappy with where it was at the time and was interested in moving, particularly if it could be part of the downtown, closer to sort of the center of action, mm -hmm. which it was not in Overland Park, Kansas. And one thing led to another, and all of a sudden they were coming. And it was, uh, it also happened very quickly. They needed a site uh, in, in the downtown area where they ended up at Whitever State Park. And they also 
needed to move and they needed to build a new building. And it was about a $50 million proposition. Now, again, it speaks to the big heart and, and great minds of this region that literally this group of undeputized community volunteers comes back and has the courage, uh, some might even say audacity, mm -hmm. to come to the philanthropic community and the corporate community and say, we need $50 million and we need it in the next 10 days, which they got. Uh, and and it was the best thing that could possibly have happened. I mean, you know this, the NCAA has been literally the gift that keeps on giving for this community. When you think of events, they have tripled, doubled and tripled the commitments they made originally. They're they just an awesome partner here and they've done wonderful things for the build out of White River State Park. But that's, that's a big number to come up with on 10 days notice. And so at that time, the corporate leaders and leader, philanthropic leaders here said, look, um, we're kind of a big deal as a city and people are going to pay attention to us. We can't do business like this. We, we can't, we can no longer be doing this just as sort of one-off volunteer efforts. We've got to get serious about it. And so the desire was for there to be an organization, a new organization that would be by design CEOs only. In other words, the people who controlled the money, the people mm -hmm. who controlled the investments and could make decisions, the people who were all in on this landscape and had to figure out what should come next. It was also right at the beginning of the 21st century. So people were becoming aware of things like technology transfer and right. innovation coming out of universities and things that seemed very novel at the time. I mean, we're called the corporate partnership, even though we they added these university members <laughs> at the end. And today it seems like really that was new. It was terribly new. And so they, uh, what CICP was put together as an all CEO organization. And as you know, Mitch, it has religiously stayed that way yes. ever since. If you're, if you're a member and you can't come to the meeting too bad, your organization's not in it because you can't send a, a delegate. You, it has to be you. Um, that has worked really well over time. And the initial decision was in addition to trying to from time to time have a voice in public policy issues, what should we be doing to advance the emerging economy of the 21st century? You know what you do when you have a question like that. You hire a great consultant. Uh, they hired Battelle at that time, now Taconomy Partners, to come in and they did a comprehensive, really good piece of work on the, on the regional economy at that time. And they concluded that we had three essential things going for us. And this is economic development, not so much by going out and getting things you don't have, it's by saying, what do we have that, that you can build on and really make, make work because mm -hmm. of the, the richness of it, the usually STEM requirements to have these jobs. They tend to be the best paying jobs at the top scale of the economy and companies with huge promise. And Battelle came back and said, you have, you have three things uh, in, and you have them in abundance. You are the most manufacturing intensive state in the country. You probably always will be. Um, manufacturing is going to be, by definition, all advanced and tech-driven in this century, and you better get on with that, but that's certainly who you are. You also have a really interesting tech sector, which we're not quite sure how you got that, but you do have it, and you mm -hmm. need to take it seriously because it's going somewhere, and you need to nurture that even more, and that's really interesting because people are trying to do it, and you just seem to have it. And then you've got this, this enormous life sciences sector, and we mean enormous. We mean it's everything. It's it's pharmaceuticals, it's medical devices, it's diagnostics, but it's beyond human health. It's it's plant sciences, right. it's animal sciences, it's laboratories, it's contract facilities. You're one of the biggest life sciences economies in the country and none of you know it. So that is that's our agenda for you to, to start paying attention to that stuff that matters. And I was very close to some of the people who put CICP together. Again, some of the people, one of them, 
the, the, the folks at Little Endowment, in fact, were former partners of mine at Baker and sure. And And we're talking to me about this and I saw the report and I knew nothing about the life sciences, but I, but I was a deal guy. I thought, there has to, that's really interesting to go out and think about bringing some of those parties together and seeing what we could actually make happen. And so that's how I got involved as a volunteer along with Melina Kennedy from the mayor's office and Dave Goodrich and Ann Shane, who was involved on behalf of Little Endowment to try to figure out the art of the possible. And we put together by Crossroads as the first uh, of, the, of the initiatives. Interesting, Mitch, in those days, again, it shows you how quickly time passes. We wanted to know the three things that we ought to be doing above everything else as urgent priorities. Hmm, okay. And Battelle came back and said, we can't tell you that. The data is not good enough for us to tell you that. We can tell you what you have. We can tell you who works in it. We can tell you a lot about it, but we can't tell you what your core competencies are yet. We think that will be possible someday, which by the way, it, it was possible about 12 years later, which led to the founding of the Bioscience Research Institute here, but it's not possible now. And so no one had any intent of having any standing initiatives here. We just wanted three sure. or four projects to do and get them done, deliver them, and then the community would move on. So BioCrossroads started as sort of a, we ended up with another consultant coming in and saying, well, we can't give you three, but we can give you eight or 10 ideas that you should try. So the idea with BioCrossroads in the beginning was just to try to vet those ideas and see if there was anything to any of them. And there were some things in the ag bioscience area, even at that time, but it was some other things that didn't turn out to be nearly as promising uh, other areas. And by the time BioCrossroads got done vetting most of those, it was an organization and existing yeah. <laughs> as a long as a long-term initiative. We did early on have always had an ag component to it and always had an animal science component to it as well. Uh, but the plant science part was really important. Dow AgriSciences really had just been formed at that time. Dow right. had tried a lot of different things down here in its joint venture with with Lilly and ultimately spinning stuff off. And Dow AgriSciences really had just been formed. It was unclear what was going to become of that. Um, by 2007, 2008, and getting into your origin story, uh, you had a guy named Jerome Parabert running Dialogue Sciences, and he was he was the real deal. And he was a world beating CEO. He'd been recruited to come in uh, out of out of out of the European sales organization for those folks, and he decided to build a facility for Dialogue Sciences in Indianapolis that would withstand any test of time. And anyone's effort to ever try to sell it or do anything with it was going to be so good and so awesome, it would be here forever. And he was absolutely right. Yeah. So that's 2008, 2009. People earlier than that had been thinking about, this sounds horrible to say it now, but had been thinking about plants mostly as a source of fuel. I mean, ethanol was what people sure. talked about. No one talked about it for food. And no one had really focused on the food crisis in the world. That was now coming into focus. And then you had this enormous player in Dialogue Sciences growing. Right. And we said, wait a minute, we, you know, we're, we're the life sciences sector. This is part of it. There's something else here that we have missed and we need to go back and look again. So we went back, we asked, we asked for funding, grant funding for this. We went back and we hired somebody who you know very well, Beth Bechtel, sure. to be our consultant to come in and help us look at the, we didn't call it the ag bioscience sector, but that's exactly what it was. We asked Taconomy to redefine the ag part of the life sciences definition to give it its own focus and definition. So we said, take this and build it out. 
do a, do a more granular build out several layers down of what all goes in this and right. including the innovation inputs to, to, to production farming and give us a sense of what that is. And obviously combination of having, and you were involved in that. That's right. Uh, you were involved in that from the very beginning and the combination of having really strong support from the state from, from, and, and Beth's great work. And then just huge interest. I, and I'll, I'll, I'll end on this point. I remember when when Taconomy sent out the first survey of what they thought the assets were in the ag biosciences industry, and this is probably 2009 by this point. And I'm on a plane, we're going somewhere, and I'm opening this this big report up, and I start going to the back where they're listing the companies, and it's an enormous number of companies. I've never heard of any of them. And I think of myself by that point, I've been in the Bow Crossroads right. job at that point for six or seven years as being reasonably well informed That's right. about who's in this economy. So like, these are all just awesomely good privately owned companies, some of them with a billion or two in revenue in some cases with scientists on their staffs and stuff, and they're flying under the radar. They're, they're, they're scattered all over the state. This is one of the most productive sectors we have. And who knew? And it's time for a lot of people to know about it. So that's that's how we put that together and ultimately... When I came to CICP, we, we, by that point, had done enough other work that we could then go ahead and recommend to the CICP board, it's time for a new branded initiative, and it became Agronovas. It's an incredible story. And when you look at CICP overall, five initiatives today, right? Connexus, TechPoint, BioCrossroads, Agronovas, and Ascend, really right. focused on talent. On talent. When you, when you look at those, I want to dig deep in uh, on Ag Biosciences, clearly. You know, we just uh, two years ago launched a report for the first time ever and quantified the revenue output right. of the ag bioscience economy here in Indiana, a $52 billion economy. The the largest portion of that food, to your point earlier, mm -hmm. $29 billion of the $52 billion comes from food, more than twice the size of production agriculture in Indiana. As those numbers wash over you, and I know you've heard them before and seen them before and really at the forefront of, of bringing those together, give us a sense, if you will. We, where have we been in the ag bioscience economy? And sort of give us a temperature check, David. Are we are we headed in the right direction, or is there wind in the sail? Give us an idea of where we think where you think ag bioscience is today. I I I I think you are. There is so much opportunity in this sector. You haven't even been able to fully put your arms around it yet, which is a really exciting, it's incredible thing to see. Um, you, I have never seen as much as many and as deep stakeholder interest emerge out of seemingly again to meet nowhere as in the early days of, of this initiative when people would come to events and conferences and really finally were happy that someone was looking at the sector and taking it seriously. And as you know, Mitch, if you mentioned all of our sector initiatives, what they have in common is they're all what Brookings Institution calls advanced industries. And mm -hmm. advanced industries are simply those which have a disproportionate number of people with STEM credentials working for them and which put a disproportionate amount of their money back into research and development. They're responsible for 10%, 11% of the jobs in, in, in a state. And in fact, if you have that, which we do in the state, probably 11 to 12%, you're really lucky. In many wow. states, it's like seven or eight. The reason you're lucky is because that 11% contributes almost 30% of the GDP of the state. Wow. So talking about boxing above your weight, yeah, it it hires 80% of the engineers. It, it pulls down 90% of the patents and it's responsible for almost 100% of industrial innovation, industrial R&D. So those are the sectors you want. And if you do a mapping, Brookings has defined 50 of these industries, advanced industries, you have a lot of them in, in the ag biosciences area. And if you take our other three uh, sister initiatives here, 
we hit 48 out of 50 of those advanced industries in this state for being concentrated in it. So the, we are clearly all in the right stuff in, in terms of what we're working on. Now, David, earlier this year, you announced your intention to retire at the end of 2022. Best I can tell you failed in that expertise. So because far. <laughs> you have You have been running full throttle. We're fast approaching the end of the year. Thinking back, I mean, you've been doing this here at CICP for almost two decades now. You know, there's so many stories or so many things that likely stand out as this economy has evolved, this economy has advanced. Give us the top two or three. Well, we've been talking about one of them for sure, and that's and that's and that's this initiative at, at Renovus. Um, I would put Ascend, our workforce and talent initiative, for for many different reasons, but but also it was something that was badly needed that we didn't really respond to early enough on the employer demand side uh, for for providing talent, and I think that has that has worked out extremely well. I I think I think probably the hardest thing. Um, I've I've been involved in the organization has taken on two not two two things I'm going to mention one has been our diversity initiative the business equity for India initiative in the wake of the George Floyd killing and um, events that happened here in Indianapolis that's a joint venture that we have with the Indy Chamber it is doing some really terrific work around economic opportunity and procurement in hiring in sort of the basics and of of really economic contribution to the economy and bringing more people into it which is important here. The the other I would I would say is is where you and I are sitting here, which is sixteen tech. Um, I have some skills. Real estate development is not among them, and I've had that <laughs> made painfully clear to me throughout this period of time. But this again, as you know well, because you're here all the time, is a having a place for innovation, having a place for people to collaborate, even in this post COVID more virtual world, is absolutely essential, particularly for the creative processes. And um, 16 Tech has really has, is a project many, many, many years in the making, but we made it happen. And we made it happen as an organization. We made it happen across our initiatives and we're making it work today. And it's an exciting place. It's exciting for the future. It's also exciting for the neighborhoods, uh, historic neighborhoods that, that are here and have been waiting for an opportunity like this for literally 100 years. So it's not, I can't tell you it's done. You know it's not done because you walk out and see it, but you know where it's going and, and the direction of it's great. Well, David, you have to be filled with a sense of pride and, and likely emotion just overall as you look at, you know, back on this 20-year career here at CICP, a place like 16 Tech, which was blight, which was, you know, the city's water infrastructure. And, and now we're sitting in a building where innovation is happening. Indiana Bioscience Research Institute, just a right couple here, floors right. below us. You have tremendous stories over in the Artisan Marketplace, AMP, here at 16 Tech, where you have first-time restaurant owners. I, mean, right. I get goosebumps right. talking about them. I mean, it is incredible with what innovation is happening here. I, I want to zoom this out just a bit. So we, we've talked a lot about Indiana. We've talked a lot about these initiatives. But David, you, you uniquely have had a front row seat to the evolving economy. You've seen it here in Indiana. And you, you've seen it for two decades now. Give us a sense and I, a real honest sense of where Indiana is competitively, not just across the Midwest, maybe not even just across the country, but around the world, where is Indiana competitively and how has that evolved during your tenure? There are two answers to that and they'll sound inconsistent. So of the things that we are talking about here and what we all do and work on in the, in the, in the ag biosciences or life sciences and manufacturing, we have world-class assets and world-class people. And in fact, 
the assets that I started with at uh, Crossroads, I mentioned uh, Dow, but also I mean Lilly has a market cap today of nearly six times what it was in right. 2005. Roche Diagnostics is unrecognizable from the place that it was. Elanco and Corteva didn't even exist at right. that time, and now right. they're both their global headquarters are here. So from the standpoint of, of just bet the farm assets, we, we are unmatched in that. Um, and that's true across really all of our advanced industries. So if you work here, as we all do, you can get to feel really darn good and should about what we have and the, and the need for people to understand and appreciate it more. The headwinds we're dealing with are significant, and they're not, they're not only the ones that we talk a lot about in terms of talent and workforce, which is everybody's challenge in a, in a full employment economy, and also of uh, technology, converging technologies, which are, which are disrupting work as we know it and will continue to do it and have only been accelerated by COVID. But that, that's true in, in every state. Right. I think our biggest challenge here is that we're small. I mean, this is a, a state still of, of fewer than 7 million people. And we're, we're in a part of the state with a 2 million person uh, metropolitan area, which is really the pr entry price of admission to be able to compete for talent and for opportunity in a, in a, in a globally competitive environment. We just barely fit. And that means that we don't have any room to make a miscue or a mistake or a misstep. And that is hard. That's <laughs> very hard mm -hmm. to do in, 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 in this world. The other thing that comes with that is, again, I know you talk about it, the Crossroads colleagues talk about it. We all are proud of the fact that we export so much of what we do. We make stuff here so we, and we sell it in global markets. And an economist will obviously tell you better to have globally traded companies than anything else. But the flip side of this is also the case that if you're part of the global economy, you're part of the global economy right. for good or for ill. If we were bigger, we could have more of an influence on, on that. We're small. And so for us to have, have it, for us to be visiting it on other people, which we'd like to do, happens less often than having it visited on us. And that's why I think the work here is so important because the assets we have, again, are globally competitive assets. And we need to be figuring out, we need to be making sure that we're not just the workshop. Of, of the country, which is very important to be, but that we are also the people coming up with the ideas right. and attracting the talent to do that and the innovations and the entrepreneurial energy to put those ideas to work first so that it's our stuff that's going out and it's, it's rather than, again, everything always just coming to us and us catching cold when the economy somewhere else goes south. That's, that's the big concern. And, and you know, it's, it's hard because on the one hand, you're wanting to feel rightfully proud of who we are and what we have and we should. We, we, we are ridiculously fortunate in what we have here and in the wonderful people we have. I mean, we, we have no business having three research universities in, this, in a state of 7 million people. That's all terrific, but we have to be realistic constantly about what those headwinds are like. We are, we are battling a 25 mile an hour north wind every time we walk outside and we will be forever. And so how do, we, how do we put as much as we can into that to make ourselves as, as independent as we possibly can? I love the analogy. I mean, almost David versus Goliath here, right? Yeah. Of, of we, yeah. have, we are so uniquely positioned, great assets on the balance sheet, three R1 institutions, an, an amazing, amazing corporate infrastructure of market leaders. I mean, Corteva moving their global headquarters yeah. to Indiana, yeah. now the third yeah. largest publicly held company in Indiana. Incredible. Right. right. 
So, you know, there's, there's a lot here and what's so fun and energizing, exhilarating, describe it how you will. Like we are arm in arm to go get this thing done. It's right. just, oh, it's good. Okay. Time for two more questions, David. We're talking with David Johnson, president and CEO of the Central Indiana Corporate Partnership. David, as you look forward, at some point, at some point, they're going to take your parking pass. And at some point, you won't be able to keep coming to work. I, I know we'll, we'll figure out a way to That's going to happen together. soon, I think, I, I, which, is, which, which, which is a good thing. Yeah. But I want you to look ahead. Look ahead maybe a decade or two. What would What would you feel great about? two decades from now saying, you know what? I was part of the team that built the cornerstone for that. What's that? Well, one of them we talked about, certainly this place. Again, you know, it, it's 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 well on its way. It's not finished at 16 Tech. There will be a lot of new directions it can go. And, you know, we're in a dynamic time. And so it hasn't, it hasn't overcommitted to any one strategy, but it will be interesting to see how that all turns out. The other, the other will be to preserve what you and I are just talking about, which is, you know, at any given time, we are three years away, either from just ridiculous success or, or real challenge. Right. Um, you know. You know too. And I mentioned small. We're not growing from a population standpoint either, and that is a challenge for us. I look at other communities like Nashville, which is very similar to us in many ways, but they have more people coming in to join them to add to that sort of competitive economy than we do. We're we're, we're not shrinking, and a lot of other communities are, but we, we need to do something to either accelerate our growth or or to make all of us who are here a heck of a lot more productive. Um, and so those challenges, I think, will be front and center too. Uh, to me, the first thing about that, Mitch, and I know you spend a huge amount of time in, in with your colleagues as well, is just having people have a realistic idea of what we can get and right. what we're up against. And, and I think we're just going to have to, we, there will be no conventional wisdom on this stuff from here on out. It's going to change every, every three months. But again, that's why this organization, I think, will be 10 years from now, it will be just vastly even more important than it is today because it contains people like you who are looking ahead and trying and are determined to make sure that future is bright. Oh, thank you. I, your vision matters, right? Those without vision shall perish. And I think right. this is, uh, David, clearly a manifestation of your vision. What you saw, what is created, incredible. Last question for you. Look, you have been running hard, <laughs> running really hard. Two decades in this job, lots of experience that we've talked about. Stopping, I know, David Johnson, is not in your DNA. So what's next? What's the next chapter of David Johnson look like? Well, I, um, I'll I'll get back to you on that one, Mitch, in, in a few months. <laughs> you know, I I I I don't play golf, uh, and so I'm going to have to find something to stay occupied. I mean, seriously, and and I and I think you feel the same way. These jobs are privileges. They are, um, and the people you get to know, I mean, to work with this many talented, creative people. I don't want to stop doing some element of that going forward. I think I would just just really be unhappy about it. Um, this organization is in great shape for a new leader to come in, and I'm very excited about the next chapter for CICP. Uh, and it's important for there to be a new. I've been here 10 years. It's important for someone new to come in with new vision and new energy and, and all the rest for that. Um, I'd like to stay involved somehow in maybe maybe in in writing, maybe in speaking, and probably once in a while doing a project because I really like the work. And I think, mm. and I know you do too, but just I think being a being a practitioner as well as being someone who has the privilege of being involved in strategic conversations, that's a real treat. And I just don't want to give all of that up. 
Well, there's always a seat, David, at Agrinovus. <laughs> know well, that uh, there is always a seat. We'd love to have you. David, Indiana is a better place because of you. I mean it. Uh, thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your leadership. He is David Johnson, president and CEO of Central Indiana Corporate Partnership. David, just a real delight and honor to be with you today. Mitch, thank you. It's been a real privilege to be here too. Thank, thank you. you so much. And thank you for tuning in to Ag Bioscience. You can get the latest Ag Bioscience news and insights by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. And while there, you can access our entire library of archived episodes and give us a review. Don't forget, you can learn more online at agronovisindiana.com. And on behalf of the entire Agronovis team, I'm Mitch Frazier saying thanks for listening. I look forward to seeing you real soon. This podcast is a product of Agronovis Indiana in collaboration with Inside Indiana Business, hosted by Mitch Frazier, panel episodes by Gary Dick, produced by Kayla Chittister and Fabian Rodriguez, photography by Kaylee Kerr. To get all ag bioscience news all the time, visit agronovisindiana.com.